Welcome to the Brain Pal Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Rome, and today's guest is Dr. Thomas Ramsey, Professor of Neuromarketing and CEO of Neurons Inc. The Zoom uh, client didn't want to start, so uh, I see. we'll have to deal with this. I hope that's okay. Not a problem. Sometimes there are technical issues. All right, are you ready to go ahead and get started? Sure. And what they say is AI is easy. AI is easy. A- AV is difficult, right? <laughs> Doubt about that. <laughs> All right. So I'll start with the uh, introduction of you. So Dr. Ramsoy, am I saying that properly? You can say Ramsey. It's a, it's actually a Scottish name that was made into Norwegian for some reason. So oh, yeah, I see. it's a mess. <laughs> I see. Okay. Very interesting. All right. Dr. Ramsey is a professor of neuromarketing, uh, one of the pioneers in the fields of consumer neuroscience and neuromarketing, and also the CEO of Neurons Inc., one of the premier, uh, dare I say, pretty confident about that, one of the premier neuromarketing agencies in the world. And he teaches one of the only uh, neuromarketing courses online or offline on Coursera, and also a, an excellent advanced neuromarketing course on his website, neuronsinc.com. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Dr. Ramsey, do you think that covers it pretty well? Absolutely. I uh, thank you for that introduction. That's great. All right. Great. Great. So uh, here's a question I have for you. So you studied neuroscience in school and academically. Uh, out of all the fields you could have gone in, into in neuroscience, why neuromarketing? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, no, I think that, uh, so I actually started way before this. I started at the, uh, the business school in Norway first. I, I started doing business economics and that was where I started. And I realized that I didn't want to do kind of financial analysis that was way too boring but i like the organizational psychology and i like the marketing and so I, so I went into psychology first and i i graduated as a with a master's in in psychology and i worked many years as a neuropsychologist uh you know within kind of clinical neuropsychology and um while, when i got the chance i i um, i always did research uh, you know from the day i you know before i graduated until uh, i you know started my phd program I, uh, I always did research, and I was uh, that kind of helped me into getting a PhD in uh, neurobiology, and uh, at the Danish researcher for MR. So that was kind of MR uh, research, fMRI, structural MRI, and uh, trying to understand decision making and emotional responses, for example. So, so that was kind of the the path I took in you know studying anything from emotions to memory to consciousness to decision making. And then at the end, when I was finalizing my PhD, I was invited over to the Copenhagen Business School to, um, to establish a kind of a research collaboration between uh, the business school, the uh, university hospital, and then also the technological university in Denmark. So to, to, to you know, as a multidisciplinary approach to understand decision-making. So that was kind of the way the, it all started. And it's kind of my approach to try to understand how we make decisions, but always being interested in not kind of lab-based, you know, almost like rat studies or monkey studies, but actually to understand how humans make decisions. And, you know, since humans are um, living in modern societies, it doesn't really help just studying people as they lie inside a kind of a big noisy scanner. So I try to move uh, a bit beyond that. But um, as it turned out, um, I think that I was, you know, at the, at the time that I was growing a little bit uh, frustrated with the academic um, publishing par- parish race. At the same time, at uh, uh, I was I was contacted by uh, Lowe's, uh, the home improvement company in, in the U.S., to say you know, to basically help them build a neuroscience toolbox. Uh, so that was uh, that was basically kind of the, the startup, uh, you know, from 
making that transition of still doing academic research, but also doing a lot of applied research and trying to understand both how people make decisions, but also how can we measure and predict decisions? And you know, how can we improve uh, how people are responding to, to things in, the, in everyday situations? I see, very cool. I had a somewhat similar path, uh, though not as cool. When I was in undergrad, I, think, I guess I kind of had one of those right time types of things because uh, by the time I got to undergrad, things like behavioral economics and neuroeconomics started to become popular. So I was taking a class on uh, neuroeconomics uh, at my university and uh, one day I was like, wait a minute, this applies to some of the skills I already have. Because I had known how to make websites, but I was like, oh, I can probably make a lot better websites that reach their goals and the goals of right. my users more effectively because I understand decision making at a better level. So it seems to be, because I, I also study business, like, and I was like, wait a minute, I'm getting kind of bored of this in the accounting. I would like, I have, I have like insomnia, but I'd fall asleep studying right. accounting. So right. like, very similar in that regard. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's a kind of a thankful topic, right? You know, both understanding the human mind and the human brain. And at the same time, you can actually, it, it's applicable. It's, it's uh, if you're a pragmatist, you can actually do something that, you know, it can actually change people's behaviors, right? Yes. And I think that was, that was uh, what drove me into kind of this more commercial approach as well. I see. Very cool. Now, so then you started applying uh, neuroscience to uh, marketing and developing uh, neuroscience toolboxes. What would you say, uh, perhaps in short, what would you say neuroscience can do for marketing today? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of things. So on the one side, you have um, neuroscience can definitely help in building better models, uh, a better understanding of how we make decisions. So, um, you know, marketing is this kind of combination of psychology and, you know, economic uh, thinking. Uh, so that was kind of infusing psychology into economic thinking was kind of the the, the upstart of, uh, of, of uh, modern marketing, if you like. But psychology has moved on. There's kind of psychology has integrated neuroscience as part of its apparatus and, you know, theoretical approach as well. So that means that if you really want to do marketing, consumer insights, trying to understand people, and this goes beyond that as well. It actually goes into management, leadership, innovation work, for example, as well. If you try to understand how people make decisions, then neuroscience should definitely be on your you know, as, as part of your toolbox, your theoretical toolbox, but it should also be part of your, you know, toolbox for measuring people as well. So that's kind of the second thing that neuroscience allows um, and your marketing allows you to do is to have, instead of just only kind of theories, you can have measurement devices as well that tell you, you know, are people actually looking at what you want them to? Do they understand the, la the whatever you're telling them? And do they, Res does it, your message resonate with them? You know, are they engaged, for example, or are they disengaged? So that, that you know, and, and, and the thing is that instead of just doing this as a questionnaire that you do typically, uh, you have to do that at the end. It's very difficult to poke people and say, you know, what do you think now? What do you think now? But you can have, by using neuroscience tools, you can you can see how it unfolds second by second, right? So I, so I think that are, um, and by using that, eventually you can both diagnose, but you can also create much better uh, predictive models as well. So theory, measurement and diagnosis, and then also prediction. I think those are kind of the, the three uh, most important things that you, you can see the, the added value of. I see. Very cool. Good summary. What would you say neuromarketing can't do? Perhaps the limits of neuromarketing? It can't read people's thoughts. That's plain and simple. Uh, that's, uh, you know, I think that a lot of people are trying to oversell and uh, under deliver, to be honest. Uh, 
especially the message that uh, there's a the idea that you know we could just strap on this device and we can just read everyone's thoughts. Uh, that is not that simple. Um, so what we can do is we can measure certain things such as your emotional engagement, your cognitive loads, how much information you're keeping, what you are attending, for example. But we can see, you know, from that brain activity whether you're thinking about A, B, or C, for example. So that that's one thing. The second is also that currently there are certain uh, technical limitations and technological and scientific limitations in, in terms of what you can do with uh, some of these scientific tools. Unfortunately, neuromarketing, because of the popularity of neuroscience, has undergone and is still undergoing, I would say, a, a certain level of um, hype. Um, so there's a couple of kind of hype cycles going on where there's a lot of overpromising and underdelivering, delivering And I, I, I think that uh, one of the things I always kind of pick on a little bit is this uh, idea of uh, remote facial coding, automated facial coding, where the idea is that you can measure people to what extent they smile or they're showing different kinds of uh, expressions. Um, I'm still on the fence about um, how reliable those measures are. I would love if they were just, you know, pick and choose and just use them because you know they would have potentially some added value. But I still think that you know, that is one potential tool. There are other types of tool that um, I just, um, uh, they're not, the science is not there yet, to be honest, to be fully kind of scaled to the extent that we're currently seeing. So I would always be a little bit concerned about some of the solutions out there just because it's so easy to sell, right? Of course it is. I see. Very cool. Thank you for that. So what would you say, I think there might be a bit of it, I can move the mic away further. Uh, let's talk about uh, some of the models of neuromarketing. I'm taking your advanced neuromarketing course right now. So let's talk about the four powers model. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, uh, this was a, a work that, you know, it's not, not particularly new in itself to have these kind of four different powers of how advertising works. But this was based on work by Professor Babar Shiv at Stanford University that, you know, he did a lot of, uh, he's done a lot of, um, you know, theoretical work, also a scientific test with fMRI and EEG and come up with a good kind of coherent uh, uh, kind of step-by-step -step, uh, theory, if you like. Yeah. And uh, what we were supposed to do was to, uh, as part of a larger project for a big media house in, in uh, Scandinavia that is called Bonnier uh, um, uh, Media House. So this is one of the bigger uh, media houses in Northern Europe. And they were interested in understanding how can we measure and how can we diagnose ads, but also uh, how can we predict the success of different ads based on these neuro measures. But also do we have a theoretical framework to put that up against? And then finally, uh, can we use this knowledge to understand which platform is best to use? Is it you know social media versus uh, you know print versus you know what what kinds of uh, do you need to ad adjust your ad to the platform? Which uh, should be obvious, but you know how should you do it, right? So um, so what we did was to basically use together with uh, Professor Shiv, we used the model, and then we came up with a set of different tools that are uh, you know use eye tracking and EEG, different types of measures to come up with. Um, uh, very kind of strict measures for each of those powers. And we had, uh, so it's a four power model, as you say, it's um, lo uh, stopping power, which is uh, attention. Uh, to what extent does an ad stop people's attention and maintain people's attention? The second is then persuasion power, which is to what extent something is uh, emotionally engaging. So does it resonate with the audience? The third is the transmission power, whether um, people understand the message you give them. Do, do they actually understand what you're trying to tell them? And then finally, you have locking power, which is all about do, does it actually manifest as a, as a memory later on? 
So, so that was uh, something we came up with measures for, you know, locking, uh, stopping power was uh, eye tracking. We had uh, EEG uh, kind of brain measurements for the persuasion power, the emotional response, and then transmission power, which is a kind of cognitive uh, response. And then for locking power, we actually used a two week uh, follow up um, memory test on people. And we did this for three rounds and we had something like a few hundred people per round that actually went in to do EEG and eye tracking and were followed up later on as well. And what we were able to do, among other things, was to use these kind of eye tracking EEG scores to create a score that predicted subsequent memory for the ad, which was uh, pretty cool. I see, very cool. Now, uh, in your work, have you found any ways to increase the either of the four models for an audience? Like, let's say you wanted to increase stopping power or locking power, have you found any ways to do that in your work? Definitely, definitely. And I, I think that um, there are some easy wins and some really kind of low hanging, hanging fruits on this. You know, we have done this uh, a gazillion times where we just by showing, you know, you do A-B testing or A-B-C testing and you definitely just show that, the you know, A is performing decently, but, you know, B is just abysmal. It just doesn't get the attention that you, you intended or when people are looking at it, they're not paying uh, attention to the brand or anything like that. And then C is really doing something right because people are looking at the brand or whatever you want them to see. So the first thing is that just doing the testing alone gives you a lot of insights. But then there are also some gen, you know general insights you get across tons of tests. Uh, a good example is that we've seen again and again that when you present something in the bottom right corner, that is something that by other researchers also have been called uh, the corner of death. And then, you know, if you put anything down there, um, it will be a maximum of 4% of your audience will actually pay attention to whatever you show it. And lo and behold, when you do a kind of a broad survey of different visual ad material, almost 50% of, of all ads are positioning their brand in the bottom right corner. So that means that, you know, the old saying of, you know, Wanamaker that said, uh, you know, half of my uh, marketing budget is wasted. I just don't know which half of it. Well, at least we know that 50% of your ads uh, are probably doing worse because than they need to because they're just positioning the ad in the wrong place. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing would be, uh, you know, using other tools such as, you know, kind of early vetting tool. So we, uh, we have invented something called Neurovision, which is, uh, you know, an AI-based model that is based on the eye tracking data we have. And it is over 90% accurate in predicting what people actually will look at when we compare it to eye tracking. And that means that, and it gives you then, of course, you know, you upload a picture uh, or a video, but if you upload a picture, it takes something like 10 seconds to get a heat map back with some other scores as well. And it tells you, you know, people are most likely to look here, 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 but they're not going to look here. And that is an early vetting tool because it means that you can now just try out different versions and you can try out a hundred different versions and then you find which ones that actually perform the best on the scores that you, you would like to have. So, so, so there definitely are tools becoming available now that were not available just you know, a few years ago. Um, other things that we've seen is that uh, if you look at um, social media, uh, advertising on social media, in general, uh, people have a higher cognitive load. Uh, so that means that they have a uh, their bandwidth is, is much more filled up with information when they're on social media because it's it's just a, a rush of information going on at any one time. And that also means that the likelihood that people will spend time and understand a complex message 
on social media is much lower than if you are presenting the same message um, in, in a you know in a slow paced website or uh, in pay, paper format for example as is newspaper so so that shows that you need to adjust your 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 communication uh, depending on uh, the, the the format the, the the platform you're on basically so that was very much kind of advertising but we've tested uh, a lot of things such as you know when Google were inventing their uh, AR uh, solution the Google Tango uh, the augmented reality solution or when IKEA was uh, launching electricity as a service um, this is something you can also do and use neuroscience tools to basically understand how do people respond in a way that they are not able to communicate, for example. So, so it doesn't, you know, it's not isolated to ad testing. It's also to completely new services and products, for example. So, um, yeah, as I said initially, when you want to understand human behavior and what drives people, then you can use this approach. I see. Very cool. Very good summary. Thank you again. So let's talk about uh, the toolbox. We'll talk about some of the physical tools. So let's start with EEG, can you give a, maybe like a one to two minute summary of the pros and cons of using an EEG for neuromarketing? Sure, uh, EEG is uh, by far the, the oldest technology that we've used and it's had its renaissance for you know uh, the, the past 20 years, I would say, but it, it, it's, I think it's more than hundred years old, old at this point. So that means that it, it is the use of electrodes positioned typically at the scalp, uh, you can do it intracranially as well as part of a surgery or surg surgical uh, planning. But it's typically you use that to measure the electric, uh, the electrical output from the brain. So the brain is what we call neurochemical. So that means that it's both um, or electrochemical, so that it's both electrical and magnetic uh, outputs you can measure on, but it's also chemical and other types of things you can measure on. But with the EEG, you're only measuring on these kind of electrical uh, fluctuations that happen. Um, what you then do by, you know, have like X amount of electrodes on the scalp, uh, you are then extracting those signals. You're translating them into what we call frequency bands. So it's almost like tuning into different frequencies on the radio. And then you can tune into different uh, types of frequencies. So typically what we see is that slow frequencies are uh, when the brain is basically relaxing or in deep sleep and have very high, uh, kind of highly aggressive um, uh, frequencies is when the, 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 the brain is really working hard, so to speak. And when you try to look at that, the combination of position of the electrodes, then also the, uh, the you know, wh what type of frequencies you're looking at, you can correlate that very nicely with different types of responses, such as emotional responses and cognitive responses. So that's kind of the short version. It, it is a pretty kind of sophisticated way to, to use, and it's not plug and play in by no means. So, so you need to have a good neuroscientist aboard, uh, probably a statistician aboard as well to do a proper analysis. But once you do that, uh, you know, once you have people trained aboard that do this, then it's pretty straightforward, so to speak. I see, very good explanation. What about GSR, the galvanic skin response devices? Any thoughts on those? Yeah, so you can, just as you take electrodes on the scalp, you're basically measuring, uh, you know, putting two electrodes typically on, on two different fingers on the same hand. What you then do instead of measuring the, uh, you know, output from, from the muscles, for example, you're actually measuring the conductivity between the two points. So if you put a current, a mild current between the two points, 
you can you can say that a very dry skin it has a has high resistance it doesn't really uh, transmit the, the electricity very well but if you are sweating a little bit or you have otherwise you know moisturized your skin then the the level of conductivity is much higher and what we see is that when you sweat in the, in the palm of your hands or you know that, that is a very good indication that you have a slightly emotional arousal response and and by that means you know when you're measuring on the gsr uh, you can you can tap into that you know the the you know, arousal response in people. The problem with that is that the GSR is a pretty noisy signal and it's a very sluggish and slow signal. So the analysis of it is is not as precise as you would you know often like to. I see. When would you think would be a good time to use a GSR if ever? Uh, you know, GSR is very mobile, so that would be kind of the first case. If you really want kind of a simple setup, or and you really want to just try it out and see how it, uh, you know, how people respond, just uh, that would be the easiest time to do it. Um, the EG uh, is also mobile now, uh, but it, it, it does require, um, as I said before, uh, much more kind of sophisticated analysis. I wouldn't say that GSR would ever be plug and play either. It uh, depends on which uh, vendor you're using, but typically you'll have to do some kind of statistical analysis of it. So yes. in general, uh, GSR would be for just uh, easier, smaller setups for typically kind of mobile setups, I would say. But it's, it's also when you don't have to know whether it's a positive or a negative emotional response because it's only response to whether it's a high or low emotion, so to speak, not whether it's positive or negative. I see. Thanks for that. Okay, and what about eye tracking? Thoughts on that? Yeah, eye tracking has uh, really kind of gone undergone a lot of, uh, you know, almost like a revolution. It's a silent revolution these days, I think. But it, you, you see today that the devices, instead of strapping people into these kind of hard boxes that you know to track people's eyes, you can now. Uh, even webcam eye tracking is becoming uh, reasonably good. Uh, I wouldn't say it's fully scalable yet. But if you use some of the, the, the accessible tools, I know Toby is the big big player here. Uh, they have more than 50% of market and they would be, they have, they have released some very kind of, um, uh, I would say, I wouldn't say uh, cheap, but are still more affordable solutions that allow you to, to, to measure with infrared cameras where the eyes are. And um, the, the frequency of those measurements is typically like something like uh, 20 milliseconds per data point. So that means that you can start quantifying both where people are looking, you can quantify how long they are looking at something, you can take their scan path, and you can also measure, depending on the device, you can even measure pupil dilation, which is actually very correlated with the, the arousal response you measure with GSR as well. So if you do, um, and I've, I have papers both uh, recently published, but also in, in uh, review as well, where we are looking at pupil dilation in different types of consumer settings as well. So, so this, you, can, you can even measure emotional responses with pupil dilation. I see, very cool. All right, I've got about five to six minutes left. Uh, Dr. Ramser, Ramsey, is there anything else you think people should know about neuromarketing? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, maybe what we see now is that maybe neuromarketing is outliving its own name, to be honest. Uh, I think that if you think about neuromarketing, it's, it seems to be very limited to you know, market research or marketing use per se. And uh, I think that what we see today is that uh, we can go in, in in most different types of um, situations that are either consumer related or way beyond. So that means that I wouldn't normally just say that it's, it's marketing. Um, I think that what we see today is that uh, 
we see that it's being used in a in completely new environments that we haven't hadn't thought, you know, 10 years ago, we wouldn't have thought that this was possible. But we see now that with uh, technology becoming much smaller, cheaper, and more uh, available, and more scalable, we see uh, the science becoming more robust. And there's an alignment in the industry and academically as well that we are we need to create more robust and better metrics as well. Um, I think that what we can expect to see in the coming years is that um, neuromarketing tools will become much more like you know the thing that measures your attention when you're driving your car for example or when they're falling asleep that is actually more probably more related to what we can expect to see in the coming years rather than just being this kind of high-end research tool uh, so yeah i think that that at least is, is some of the things to, to think about i see very good so we covered a lot in a, a very short amount of time uh, so that's just a, a sign of your expertise so Thank you for that. So uh, where would you say people can learn more about neuromarketing and talk about uh, some of your materials, of course? Sure, I mean, uh, of course, I, I do see that my old uh, Coursera course is still um, making the rounds. Uh, I think that more, well over 100,000 people have taken it at this point, uh, which is great. I mean, I, I'm not involved in that course anymore. I, you know, I did recordings, but it's, uh, it's a lot of years ago. Uh, we have the new course uh, through Neurons Inc., the, the Neurons Academy. So we have one course now and we're adding more courses as we go. If you're into reading, uh, you know, I basically wrote the textbook on this. So that means that the introduction to neuromarketing and consumer neuroscience is, is available. I would say that I would rather wait for the, the second edition because the first yeah, edition is coming out. We're currently putting our last hands on it now. It's coming out through Oxford University Press. Uh, so that means that it's uh, probably end of this year, I hope. Um, the first round, the first edition was actually just made for, for the purpose of my students. And for some reason, people started buying it, which uh, was never intended. So it's not really copy edited or anything. So it's, uh, it's a mess, to be honest. So I, yeah, I'm trying to kind of... Uh, to uh, change that with the second edition. And then also I have a, a new book uh, coming out now. Uh, initially, if, or first uh, in, in Danish, um, but now I, I more or less in parallel, I wrote it in, in English as well. So it's coming out uh, hopefully at the end of this year as well as uh, tentatively called The Consumer Brain. Um, and then uh, it's a more like a popular uh, pop science approach, so to speak, and especially to the four-part model that we talked about here today. So, uh, so that would be, uh, uh, hopefully that, that's something I can uh, send you as a, as a token as well. Okay, great, very cool. Let's see, all right, so I think that covers it pretty well. So if you are interested in learning more about Dr. Ramsey, you can connect with him on LinkedIn. Uh, he also has a website at neuronsinc.com, correct? And also yep. uh, your personal website, it's, uh, what is it again? That's uh, thomasramsoy.com. Let's see. Can you repeat that one more time? I think I lost your audio. That's thomasramsoy.com. Okay, thomasramsoy.com. All right, Dr. R, uh, anything else you'd like our audience to know? No, it's awesome. Thank you for the great questions. I appreciate it. All right, great. Yeah, thank you for the great answers. And uh, this is great, uh, really informative for me. I think a lot of people will find this uh, greatly informative. And again, thank you. And I will hopefully talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Appreciate it.